Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ben Jarofsky show for this Wednesday, July 5th starts now. On today's show, it's Wednesday, so you know what that means. Monroe Anderson is here for another Monroe Wednesdays. The Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. If you want to know it, you can find it at ChicagoReader.com. And Ben Jarofsky's there too. Just head to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky, who we're calling this Chomsky NASCAR Wednesday. And here's why. Because it's Wednesday, and I want to give a shout-out to Noam Chomsky, and we ditch NASCAR. We're done with it. All right, let's break it down step by step. First of all, happy 4th, happy extended holiday to one and all. Uh, so here's the way my life works. I obsessively talk for <laughs> five days. All right. I do do all these podcast drops, talking to people. I set the interviews up. I'm constantly talking. I don't know if there's a man in Chicago who talks more than me. I love talking. But during the weekend, I stopped talking. It's like I'm not doing the show. I don't really set up that many interviews over the weekend. I just kind of like I'm quiet. And so all my ideas are still bubbling around my brain. Bubble, 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 bubble. But I got no one to talk them to. Talk to about them. Anyway, I just want to, this is my long-winded way of saying, I've been thinking about NASCAR for the last four or five days. <laughs> I've had no one to talk to about it. My wife's like, I'm tired of hearing you talk about NASCAR. No, she never said that. I'm just kidding. But she's heard me talk about it going on and on. And this is why I bring up Noam Chomsky. It was about 30-something years ago, Noam Chomsky uh, and Edward Herman, a, a business professor, I think he was, uh, co-wrote a book uh, called Manufacturing Consent. Uh, and uh, it was all about how the media and government uh, manufactures consent, gets us to think, gets us to support stuff we didn't even know we wanted to do. We just nod along. We're like sheep. <laughs> it's really strong here in the city of Chicago. I would argue that Chicago, our vulnerability to this kind of propaganda and gaslighting is more wide open than in other cities. I'll tell you why. Because we have this sense of inadequacy in Chicago, this second city-itis, this feeling that we don't rate, that we're in the middle. We're not L.A., man. We're not New York. We're not one coast or the other. We're just like these forgotten people. And we want to assert that we matter. 
And so <laughs> in order to assert that we matter, we subscribe to some of the dumbest ideas. And I, I feel free of this to a certain degree because I'm not from Chicago. So I don't have the second city itis as much as the rest of you guys do. So I kind of watch you do your little Chicago thing. But I have it to a little degree. I mean, you know, I jump aboard. I'm a huge Bulls fan. I go to Grand Park when they win. They haven't won in a while. So I, I understand getting, getting all caught up in something. I do. I do. I don't think I'm better than you, Chicago. I just think I'm different than you. So I watched you get like the all oh, the media manipulation and hype over NASCAR. The Sun Times lost its freaking mind over they like six or pages dedicated to NASCAR in every edition. I was laughing out loud, texting my friends, the few friends I have who actually subscribe to the Sun Times, as opposed to the rest of you cheapskates who get it online for free. I'm like, can you believe this? You know who I feel sorry for? The writers. The writers are pretending they care about NASCAR. These writers don't ever even heard of NASCAR before. Boss goes, hey, kid, you're covering NASCAR. Yes, boss. <laughs> now they're all they're interviewing right, drivers, trying to find like a local angle. They they found the one guy. Here's the f- funny thing, man. They found the one guy from Illinois. So he's the local angle. He's like, we all have to root for this guy. I can't remember his name. Let's say it's Billy Bob. Like Billy Bob, from he was downstate Illinois. They hate Chicago and downstate Illinois. Why should we be rooting for Billy Bob? <laughs> that makes no sense. Let's hope root for Billy Bob because he's from Illinois. Meanwhile, there's Di- Joey Joe. He's from Indiana. I read this other article. This is a, a driver from Indiana, which is actually closer in Indy, where he lived in Indiana. It's closer to Chicago than where Billy Bob lived. So why why wasn't Joey Joe the guy we're supposed to root for? Well, there's the state line, Ben. It just goes to show you the inanity of this stuff. And let me say, this NASCAR deal, this is classic. This is classic uh, parking meter. This is baby parking meter, ladies and gentlemen. This was a deal that Lori Lightfoot cooked up. Did not require park district approval, did not a park district board approval, did not require city council approval. There was no hearing about it. There was no analysis about it. It was just like Lori Lightfoot determined to show the business community that she could bring a national event to Chicago, which would get national TV coverage, sort of change the narrative of how national TV talks about Chicago against that sense of inadequacy there. That sense of we're bad, we don't belong, but we'll have different kind of news coming out from Chicago. We'll have race car news. So she cut the deal, thinking this is a great deal for Chicago. Nobody knew how much it was going to cost the city of Chicago in terms of tax dollars. Nobody knew how much it was going to cost the city of Chicago and just loss of space. Because, of course, the racetrack was right there in the center, in the heart of the park in downtown Chicago, right there where all the little museums are. Well, let's just take that area where we feel so inadequate about ourselves. We're going to take that area, rope it off, not going to let people like walk in the park and contemplate the universe or whatever anybody wants to do when they look at, when they gaze at Buckingham Fountain. You know what I'm saying? No, not going to let you do any of that. Marking it off for like the hottest, I don't know, the 4th of July, it's a big weekend, turning it over to this corporation that's not from Chicago, 
I'm not saying I don't even know who got a job out of this in Chicago. You know, they if they spent all the money that they took putting up those barricades and taking those barricades, just like filling potholes in Chicago. Just filling the potholes in Chicago and getting Chicagoans to do the filling of the potholes. Imagine the resounding impact that would have on the economy. But, but Chicago doesn't think that way. They don't think that putting people to work in like a poor neighborhood is economic development. In Chicago's twisted, weird mind, that's like, I don't know, welfare or something. We're just like a weird people. So we bought into this because we feel so inadequate. We want to show that we matter. <laughs> they have this huge race. People come. I, here's the other thing. They, they're trying to get you to believe that Chicagoans care about it. I do not know. I know a lot of sports fans in the city of Chicago. I do not know one sport fan in the city of Chicago who is talking about NASCAR until Lori Lightfoot cut that deal. Not one. I know Bears fans, Hawks fans, Bulls fans, Sox fans, Cubs fans, Sky fans. I can have a conversation with any of them about any of those sports. And any of team, even teams outside of Chicago. I know Lakers fans. I know Broncos fans. I know Eagles fans. I never heard one person in the city of Chicago talk about NASCAR. And I've been living here since 1981. And all of a sudden, we're like, no, we're all NASCAR fans. <laughs> Oh, my God, what a bunch of suckers. But here's the beautiful part, ladies and gentlemen. So they manufactured this consent. They try to convince you that you're all signed aboard. You are all happy little pom-pom flag wavers. You know, they filled the sometimes with pictures of happy Chicagoans touching the car. Let me touch the car. <laughs> they, like, they put a car. I don't know where. Somewhere okay. it's like they put the car in Hyde Park. And then, like, can we get some kids to touch the car? The kids are touching the car. There you go. Remember it was like about a year ago, that big thing in the loop was they were really scared about drag racers. We did a couple shows about that. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah. Oh, my God. This is a threat to society in Chicago. <laughs> the drag racing. That's what they, they filled it. Ch Channel 9. The Channel 9 new news. <laughs> Let's scare the baby boomers. They had so many stories uh, about drag racing in Chicago. Now, essentially, they turn over the city for a giant drag race. Oh, no, that was bad. This is good. Okay, got that? Bad, good. Anyway, it rains. It ra I mean, it's like, I swear to God, it was like Noah-like rain. I saw an ark at some point in the middle of that. A Sunday morning, I was looking out the window, and there was an ark, and there was two elephants on it. I mean, this was serious rain. <laughs> Poor NASCAR. What do we do? <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I got to laugh. It wasn't, that, it wasn't the rain then, it was the lightning. Okay. Already Monroe, Monroe Anderson, he's sitting there waiting to, he's just warming up. Because he may not see eye to eye with me on this, my dear friend Monroe Anderson. I don't agree on everything. Although I kind of think we kind of agree on this one. Anyway, lightning, rain, torrential downpour. And, and it was so poorly planned, the NASCAR thing. It was like, NASCAR didn't understand. I don't know what, like, does NASCAR, the people that run NASCAR not look at the weather? Have they ever heard of Tom Skilling? Hello, weatherman in the city of Chicago. They were predicting rain all week for the weekend. I don't know. Maybe a, like, a, like a little room where people could go <laughs> to seek shelter from the storm? <laughs> no, everybody was drenched. It's like Woodstock, only they weren't 20 years old and stoned.
Well, maybe some of them were, but <laughs> so by all means, it was a colossal disaster. And yet the spin, <laughs> like the spin on the NASCAR tires, it cooks up. <laughs> like, wait, the thing ended mercifully on Sunday, I want to say by Monday, full spin. <laughs> it was a disaster, but what a success, NASCAR says. It could have been worse. <laughs> That's classic. It could have been worse. Let's we learned th so we could be even better next year. Oh, God, that reminds me. This is a three year deal. I'll close with this. Mayor Johnson has the ability to cancel that dumbass con contract with NASCAR that Lori Lightfoot signed without any city council hearings, without city council oversight, without asking you if you wanted him. He has the authority to cut the deal. To sever it. The, uh, the last quote I saw about him, I think it was in, uh, I forgot where I saw it. He said he was going to study. He said, I'm a teacher and I study all the evidence. So, Mayor Johnson, we'll give you a little advice, which you're free not to take. Cut the contract. Nobody wants it. The closest person in the city of Chicago who wanted NASCAR to come here is my guest on today's show, the distinguished Monroe Anderson. And now we are about to hear from Monroe himself as to whether he thinks you, Mayor Johnson, should cut the contract. So without further ado, I turn things over to the distinguished, the legendary, the great journalist from Gary, Indiana, who lives in Chicago, Monroe Anderson. Should the contract be cut? Well, before I answer that, I, I want to point out that you missed the point. The whole purpose, the secret purpose of the NASCAR event was to teach the suburbanites how wonderful, remind them how wonderful the city of Chicago is. No Grant Park, no Millennial Park, no museum, no planetarium. So it's like, nah, 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 this will teach you. And there was no violence during the NASCAR. So that that was the real purpose. I uh, see. For the, the money they say that we made, uh, sure, we, we may have made millions. But we spent millions. <laughs> Imagine how much it cost oh, to build those stands throughout the place. The, the electrical one, one, the guy who owned the Dwayne, the guy who owned the electrical company that was doing that was supposedly specialized in it, uh, died of a heart attack. Yeah. You know, it was a tragedy there. Um, I think that it was a, I think it worked. It taught the suburbanites, don't take Grant Park downtown <laughs> Chicago for granted next 4th of July. And um, Mayor Johnson can have his study. He has a choice on whether he wants to um, include the city council shows that he is a, a magnanimous mayor or just to say she made that mistake I'm not making it <laughs> I cut it 
Uh, but, but that depends on where he thinks he is right now as the new mayor and what, what image he wants to project. Yeah. So we'll see. But, um, you know, and I watched most of it. I've, yeah, you, know, you did. I watched you did. most of it. And the, to be honest with you, the crashes weren't even that great. They were, <laughs> they were wimpy crashes. You know, they sliding along into a bunch of, of uh, tires. <laughs> And then, you know, the cars got banged up, but the drivers uh, were walking out like uh, they had done a great thing by having a crash. So, so this is, um, uh, I'm going to give away a, a Monroe Anderson secret. So I think it was Saturday. Uh, I was called Monroe. I was walking back from uh, the pharmacy. I called Monroe. And I actually called him to talk about an article that was in the New York Times about the Supremes, okay? Uh, and uh, one of the members of the Supremes is really in uh, bad shape. Uh, and she's, um, oh, it's a long, complicated story, but uh, her, there's somebody who may have taken, ripped her off. And it's a sad story. I, I'm a huge fan of the Supreme, the group from the 60s, Millennials, the Supremes. And uh, so I just re reached out to Monroe to talk to him about that. Uh, but of course, we immediately went to NASCAR because Monroe was watching it as I had the conversation with him. And it started to rain, of course. It rained all weekend. So I had to go under a uh, the entrance of a school. I, there happened to be a school nearby when I was on the phone. And I went into that little entrance to be protected from the rain and spent about a half an hour there waiting out the rain, talking to Monroe. And he was giving me the play-by-play -play of the <laughs> The only man in Chicago I know who actually watched the thing. And, he's like, and then he literally said, ladies and gentlemen, there's only been one crash <laughs> proving that the only reason anybody watches this thing is to see a crash. And and I was wrong. There were lots of, there were lots of little mini crashes. Mini but there was only one. one it, and it wasn't major. The car slid, hit the tires, uh, couldn't drive anymore. That was the end of it. But it wasn't fiery. <laughs> it wasn't, you, you didn't even hear the crash because the tires absorbed the crash. So it, it, it wasn't a typical NASCAR or, or formula car um, crash. Yeah, well, uh, I, I think at the time, I don't know. I don't know how many crashes there were. Uh, <laughs> uh, so wait, time out. I need to know this. Was this the first time you ever watched NASCAR or do you watch it? No, 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 no. The first. Okay, all right. There we go. At least you're honest. Hey, right. And I was, you know, again, it was, it was my thinking, and I've said this on your 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 podcast, was that it could, like, with having the bears in town, it could show off the the city, be sort of a, a advertisement for downtown Chicago. Well, unfortunately, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, there was one stretch where you got some of the city, but yeah. the rest of the time you were watching the cars who were mainly single file, you know, so it was like um, watching the Dan Ryan or something. I mean, they no. were a little faster than that at times, but you didn't see much of the city because of the way this, this, the, the stands blocked out much of the skyline. Yeah. All right. As, as far as I could tell. So um, I don't think it did a great job with that either. Yeah. So uh, 
This is the text uh, that was sent out from Block Club, the neighborhood uh, newspaper I subscribe to. And they, uh, before I go here, let me just say they do a great job. Uh, and I'm a proud subscriber or donor, whatever I am, uh, to uh, Block Club. That said, uh, this, is the, this is what I'm talking about when I talk about manufacturing consent, Monroe. Here's the headline, or here's the, the email they sent. It was wet and delayed, but we sort of pulled it off. And I'm like, that... What we didn't do first of all, we W E didn't do anything. Like we, the city, no, nobody in the city of Chicago did anything for this. Lori Lightfoot cut a deal with NASCAR. NASCAR brought in their own people to set this thing up. Nobody got a job off of this. No, it, it's like nobody benefited from this. Nobody from the city. Okay. The, whole, the, the argument they would make. Yeah, or, go ahead. You know, act not they. The the the, uh, the ex mayor, the former mayor, would make. I'm sure, is that we got <laughs> hotels filled and restaurants, and um, and um, you know what? That's and, not even. Uh, I'll give you an example because I. We, as in uh, my wife and I, were yeah. talking about going downtown to eat at a, one of our favorite restaurants. And then I go, wait, NASCAR's there. Can't go downtown. We wouldn't have gone probably anyway because of the torrential downpour. Right. Exactly. But the point is, is like, oh, my, in my mind, and my wife and I, we go to Millennium Park all the time because we love the music. In my mind, the downtown area was off limits because of NASCAR. And I'll bet you there were lots of people in the city of Chicago that said, oh, that headache. Uh, and it's so classic Chicago Monroe. Just the giveaway. Just the fact. Just think about this for a moment. Well, let me ask you this. You're from Gary. Yes. Does Gary have the same mentality? Like, I'm the mayor of Gary. I'm just going to give away your best. Think about your best like your most upscale popular part of Gary, the, just whatever that is. I, I don't know where it is. The gambling Gary. casino right okay. now. <laughs> okay. The Hard Rock Cafe. I haven't been there. The no, Rock Gary's Cafe. got a beautiful lakefront. There is uh, oh, yeah, Marquette Park. Yeah. There, like, just imagine the, the, the mayor of, of Gary just said, Fourth of July, I know of thousands and thousands of Garyans are going to go to Marquette Park, wherever that beautiful, because yeah, yeah, I've yeah. been there. It, would the mayor of Gary feel he or she has the authority to do that without asking anybody for permission? Uh, it is Gary, so. <laughs> and, and Chicago is Gary's hero city, so. I guess your answer is yes. <laughs> Baby Chicago. I want to be like, how about Indianapolis? Would Indianapolis do it? I don't I'm just trying uh, to think. Well, about they it. already they have their own race, so they would probably wouldn't even let NASCAR in. Yeah. Actually, NASCAR, I think, used uh, that racetrack. One of the things I did during all the rain was read up on NASCAR, which yeah. is really where I now know more about NASCAR than I ever want to know, and it will probably have forgotten within a week. Anyway, neither here nor there to yeah, me. No, I, 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 I suspect from you putting on a bold front, but I suspect that all this information converted you. And uh, you got somewhere in, 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 in your house right now, there's a MAGA cap <laughs> that you, that you got to wear when you go, when you go to the next NASA. 
the inner mega we all we all have a little mega in us okay uh it's just knocking on the door to come out all right uh so we'll move on from nascar there's two other big items uh that we want to talk about uh one obviously 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 is the supreme court rulings uh last week regarding affirmative action it went down after monroe was on the show uh, Clarence Thomas's opinion, Katanji Brown Jackson's opinion, their feud, the attitude that somehow or other affirmative action is a detriment to black people. Now, man, you talk about a total mind messing with people's minds. It's like, wow, it's the one little thing America has done for black people since they promised them 40 acres and a mule. And now they treat it like it's bad for you, black people. So we're going to take it away from you, and you're going to say thank you to us. Monroe, they're messing with people. And we have to talk about Trump's rally in uh, South Carolina. So which one do you want to go with? Uh, for, let's go with uh, affirmative action first. Yeah. We'll close with Trump. Uh, so the ruling, are just to remind folks, uh, came down, I want to say, Friday. Uh, and uh, it had to do with admissions policies at Harvard uh, and at University North Carolina, uh, University of North Carolina, uh, in which uh, they had affirmative action program in which the universities recognized the need to have a diverse student body. Uh, and so they were going to bend over backwards or bend over a little bit uh, to make sure that there were at least some black people uh, in the, the student body. And they weren't just uh, reserving all the spots for uh, the sons and daughters of previous alum and uh, that was torpedoed by the supreme court and a six to three decision uh in which the supreme court argued that it was racial discrimination and a violation of the concepts of a colorblind society that our constitution upholds even though it never upholds anything like it uh and uh furthermore uh violated the concept of meritocracy in which we all got what we earned on the right. playing field and that nobody should have an advantage over anybody else. Even of course, though there is nothing vaguely meritocracy, there's no meritocracy in America. No. You could, what, uh, yeah, it never has what, been. Go. Whatever happened to the term reverse racism. Remember that? Mm. Yeah. 20 years ago, that was, that was, a, that, that was a, the preferred term of use. I, I guess I didn't want to sound old fashioned or maybe, the argument that they're making is that everything is hunky dory now. Yeah. That it's even Stephen Fair Square. And so why should blacks be given any advantage? And it's not much of an advantage to begin with. Um what it basically what was happening before the Supreme Court ruled was that Normally, the default position was white man in the front of the line. I mean, before, I mean, that had been the, 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 what they were correcting was that default position that if you were a white male, you automatically went straight to the, the front of the line. And with the affirmative action, then what it meant was that um, some other people got to be in line first also. It was a mixture of the frontline ranks. And um, they've been fighting this since Baki. Mm -hmm. right, they've been fighting it since the Baki. Um, 
hard as they tried, none of it worked because it, it, it was it was obvious that what they were doing was they were just trying to give white men, keep maintain uh, privilege for white men. But then they came up with this brilliant idea. Well, how about Asians? Yeah. This is a twofer for us. We can we can kill affirmative action and split uh, the ever growing colored movement, mm-hmm. diverse movement in America. So we could do that, and so that's what they did. Uh, the Supreme Court did. Uh, however. There are many Asians, not all, but there are many Asians who were in favor of affirmative action. So it's it's um, because a- Asians are are smart people. They figured out what what the guys are up to. <laughs> the the Christian white Christians. Well, I uh. Let's back it uh, back up a little bit. You take okay. a point by point on what you raise. Yeah. Uh, my when you said reverse racism as a concept uh, is no longer uh, articulated that much, or uh, uh, it's been dropped, and that goes back to what, what Monroe was talking about. Baki Baki was a uh, I think we want to get into medical school in the seventies. He filed a suit uh, claiming that like his test scores were higher than some black guy who got into the medical school. Uh, and uh, so that was the famous Baki decision went to the Supreme Court, uh, and it was the first attempt promoting the concept of r- reverse racism. The, the reason I think you don't hear reverse racism anymore is because uh, the same people who are saying reverse racism have morphed into MAGA uh, in this generation, Monroe. Yeah. And right now, MAGA is denying that racism exists. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So if racism you, doesn't exist. It never, yeah. That thinking. <laughs> So it's like MAGA's official vision of like slavery. It was uh, not a bad deal. You got, yeah, yeah, we you got, got three good Africa. deals. Yeah, it's a, it's, we got about Africa. It was so much better. And we used to tell them, why don't you go back to Africa? But um, to make this concept work, we just say, well, we did you a big favor. We got yeah. you out of Africa. <laughs> and you got to free, got to work hard for nothing. Yeah, yeah. Good gig. Yeah, one of the arguments when I was fighting with the MAGA people on Facebook, uh, and they would um, brag about how um, unemployment was was down for black folks. I tell them, well, the best um, unemployment number for blacks was during slavery when nobody was unemployed they just weren't getting paid for god that was such a dumb argument i remember so much trump bragging black unemployment is down it's so it it was just such a inadequate just a a worthless talk about a talk about manufacturing consent just like a meaningless debate you know, the endless procession of unemployment statistics that like go up and down at any given time and presidents like from one presidency to the other. Meanwhile, the overall inequities still exist in this country. That So even if you have a job, your job pays so little that it's like you're stuck in a quagmire. And it was just so absurd 
Monroe, to use that as an argument to justify whatever policy in, that Trump was uh, implementing, which were usually cutting tax. The only policy he implemented really was, uh, other than try to have a coup, uh, was to uh, cut taxes on the wealthy. Oh, and, st- and stack the Supreme Court. Yeah, stack the Supreme Court. All right. So um, I've got a couple of questions for you to get your thoughts on. And we'll start with the Clarence Thomas question. Okay. All right. And uh, so Clarence Thomas got very personal in his decision on this. And uh, he he basically called out uh, his fellow Supreme Court Justice uh, Brown Jackson, Katanji Brown Jackson. And he said uh, that she just believes that uh, racism exists, that it's it's uh, it's the most powerful force in America uh, and that it affects uh, every aspect of life. And she should get over that. And he furthermore said that affirmative action hurts black people, essentially, because it gives them something that they're not deserving of or even if they are deserving of it, they're plagued by doubts. You know, white people go, well, I only got it because he or she is black. So yeah, therefore, he or she is talented. Yes. Yeah. So no matter what. So if we, we, the way to eradicate that is to get, um, this is his argument, ladies and gentlemen, not mine, to get rid of affirmative action. And that way, white people will suddenly say, oh, well, we got rid of affirmative action. This person, this black person must really deserve and warrant like you will ever find a white person who's going to think that way. Like Clarence Thomas either doesn't know white people or has never met white people, which is really weird because he's surrounded by them. Yeah, yeah, so, he, 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 he sleeps with one every night. Well, we don't know that. Okay. We don't know what they do. I don't know. I'm not getting into their personal life. I know they, they share a house, I think. Anyway, I know. So your but thoughts. They're best friends. Don't all best friends sleep with each other? <laughs> Did, did he say that Jesus' best friend, or did she say that about him? I can't remember who said it about him. Yeah. Ginny Thomas, of course, the wife of Clarence Thomas, uh, right-wing activist, supporting the coup. Yeah, there you go. Here you go, America. There's your justice. His wife supported the coup. All right. Uh, so, Monroe, your thoughts is should affirmative action be abolished, like Clarence Thomas says, because it's filling uh, black people with doubt and insecurities? Dave, first of all, I am an affirmative action baby. I got into this business, journalism, as a result of affirmative action. Um, for, For your younger listeners, I will remind them that in the 60s, there were race riots going on summer after summer after summer over injustices. And what's interesting, of course, is prior to the 60s, all the race riots were white people um, killing and destroying black towns and and, uh, acting up because uh, they thought like NIGA people do today, that this was all theirs and shouldn't anybody else be around. When the race riots started, all the all the media was white, whites on basically. You'd have a token black here, a token black there. 
the riots started and they started sending white reporters into the riots, uh, the reporter didn't do so well. First of all, they, they nobody wanted to talk to them because they were mad at Whitey. And secondly, people were so mad at Whitey that sometimes they throw bricks at them. So, so they said, hmm, maybe we'll have somebody who looks like, like them. Go talk to them. And so suddenly there was this interest in hiring Blacks in the media. The first Black reporter at the Tribune, for example, uh, was a Chicago policeman who uh, be, be, became a reporter. Uh, I didn't know that. Joe Boyce. I know it, first lawyer. Clarence Page was the second Black. <laughs> to put it in perspective, he came a year or two later. Wow. That is deep. Let's just pause to think about that, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about things that happened in, like, what, 1970? 1966, 7, 68. Okay. 19, wow. When the, when the riots were going on. Yeah. I got I got my internship. Oh, one other. Russ, Russ Ewart. Uh, uh, Ewing? Ewing. Ewing. Yeah. I had a neighbor named Ewing. Russ Ewing was a fireman before he was hired to be a reporter because there were none. Wow, uh, Renee Ferguson. I mean, I I was uh, Renee Ferguson and I were the only two blacks in the journalism department at Indiana University in the late sixties. Um, I mean, there there just were none. The way I got into it was um, I had this professor at Indiana University, photography professor, uh, Will Counts, who was famous. I didn't realize how famous he was at the time, but he shot the photograph. He covered the civil rights movement and he shot some of the photographs of, of blacks being um, beaten by the angry whites rioters. And he, he won a Pulitzer for it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I studied photography under him. I'm in the newsroom at the Indiana Daily Student, right, you know, sitting at my typewriter writing. And he comes to me and says, that uh, one of his former students, Mar Cuffer, um, was an intern, a correspondent at Newsweek in Chicago, and they were expecting a long, hot summer. And they were looking specifically for a black reporter, mm-hmm. and that I should apply for an internship. So I've, I follow up, I write a letter to Newsweek, I get a call from the bureau. They said, oh, we'd like to interview you. When could you come down? And in Bloomington. I said, um, during spring break, I can come then because I'm going home to Gary. So I just come over to Chicago. Fine. I get there. It's the day before my 21st birthday, the day after Dr. King had been assassinated. The West Side was in flames. Mm. That was the easiest job interview. I ever had in my life of mm. affirmative action. And interesting, I don't think I have told you this, but during that time, I, Newsweek did a piece on how the white press attempts to reach the black community. I interviewed um, all four at the time, all four editors of Chicago Newsweek. At that time, there were four major white newspapers. Mm-hmm. I interviewed all four of them, 
everybody offered me a job after the interview. Wow. Unsolicited. You know, I'm still in college. I'm still at Indiana University. That's how it was back then. Um, I would not have had, had it not been for my Newsweek internship. Because I was, I, I wanted to be James Baldwin, not a reporter. Yeah. So that was my, 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 my idea of a black writer. Yeah. And once I covered the Democratic National Convention, um, I got the ink in my blood as a result of that. And the thing is with, a, with affirmative action is it gets you in the door, but it doesn't necessarily keep you there. You have to, you have to do the work. And actually, you have to play the office politics, but it took me a little longer to learn that. Well, okay, so uh, playing office politics exists for anybody to a certain degree. But yeah. It's that much more complicated uh, when you're a black person playing office politics in a white environment uh, right. filled with people who have all kinds of subterranean or sometimes above ground prejudices against black people. Right. And uh and and this is a totally unrelated to absolutely anything, but I would think this is something I thought about Monroe. I was thinking about uh, just going through all the jobs one day. I was okay, going for one of my famous walks, and I wasn't talking to you on the phone, so I was thinking uh, independently in my mind. And, uh, and I was like thinking about all the times I had like benefited from a boss who liked me just on a personal level. It didn't yeah. happen that often, but it happened a few times. They right. liked me on a personal level, so I got a break. And then I thought, conversely, all the times my progress was impeded, speaking euphemistically, by the actions of an editor who didn't like me for right. whatever reasons. It's hard as it to believe he cannot like me. And that's me talking. Just imagine if it's you talking. You get what I mean? Like the attitude. Yeah, right. Right. I know I, I I know it all too well. My first job after Newsweek, which was an internship, my first job was at the National Observer, mm-hmm. which was in White Oak, Maryland, right right outside of DC. And they had this managing editor who was a racist. He um William Raspberry had applied there mm-hmm. and he saw his, his resume and then he said, well, you realize this is a Negro that didn't hire Bob T who was this well-known at, at back in that day, uh, TV reporter had applied there unsuccessfully. The, the racist managing editor retired and they vowed that the first qualified black who, who applied, they would hire him. And I'm in college, I'm watching morning news, and the National Observer is advertising on there. And I said, oh, I'll apply there too. They get, they, they see my resume. Um, I had been an intern at Newsweek, so I'd been accepted into the club, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So they hired me. And when I say I was the first black at the National Observer, I mean, I was the first black. There was no black janitor. There was no black secretary. There was no black receptionist. Wow. There was just me. 
and um, and that had a in and of its although actually I was pretty well treated there. It's it had a psychological burden for me because being the first and having to prove something that I couldn't prove uh, was difficult. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Putting aside uh, your own experiences and putting aside whatever feelings you may have about white society, do you believe that there is a larger public benefit to having an integrated workplace, university, school, city of Chicago, across the board. Do you believe that integration is to the larger public good? Okay, you're being a sports fan. I would put it in sports terms for you. How much better did basketball get when they integrated? How much better did baseball get when they integrated? What about football? The problem may be not that we should feel guilty about being integrated into what was once segregated, but that whites may feel threatened when they see what opportunities we got and how well we perform when we actually get the opportunity. Who's a guy who um, got fired? I'm trying to remember his name, but he was drunk and and was talking about football and basically said that um, if if we aren't staying in in management, then there'd be no place for us. Oh, um, well, there's so many guys who said things like that. Uh, he literally he made national news. Yeah, about. I can't remember who it yeah, is. Okay, Are you sure it's yeah. football? Could it could it could easily be baseball? It could it could be any sport. But you, you, your point's well taken. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember who it is right now. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, the point is that um, the things that we have um, finally been able to break into, we have done okay, to say the least. And so this idea that because we were given a chance to do it, uh, we should have some guilt, some feeling of guilt, I think is nonsense. Yeah. I, when, I, when I got the opportunity for Newsweek, my attitude was, wow, I got the opportunity and I learned a lot of things as a result. And after I left the National Observer, incidentally, I went to Ebony. And I was there, Johnson Publishing Company, for two years. And that was an invaluable experience because I, I, I came to understand office politics. When things, when I was at the National Observer, anytime something happened to me, I wondered if it happened to me negative yeah. because I was black. After I was at Ebony for two years, I came to understand there's all these, these nuances and, and 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 challenges in the office that are political and absolutely has nothing to do with color. Uh, listen, man, we're and I told Monroe this before we're in the air. We're going to have a conversation tomorrow. Brendan Schiller's coming on the show. Uh, former Alderman Helen Schiller's son, the gambler out in Vegas. 
uh, really smart guy. Uh, he was a lawyer here in Chicago before he said, I'm going to Vegas. Uh, and we had a brief conversation. We're going to be talking about something called imposter syndrome, which is a syndrome that uh, a, a psychological affliction uh, that burdens a lot of people, not just black people, white people, too. Uh, and um, so I think this is like a, I, I believe that Clarence Thomas is willfully participating in a giant I don't like to swear in this, this show, but I it's just like it's a mind fuck. That's what this is. And um, they, they are gaslighting the hell out of black people uh, into thinking that somehow or other when they get a gig, uh, it's because they're black and they don't deserve it. Uh, and uh, I, I, it's just they're a huge going for what black folks aren't going for. Well, I hope not. They, they, uh, know, they know what they had to do to get to where they are. And they know white people who are less talented than them and who have, have gone further and faster. So they know this. Now, the problem is with the, I don't know if this still exists, but 20 years ago, young black journalists were, were skeptical about those of us who were tail, trailblazers, and they thought of us as affirmative action babies. And they thought that they were getting where they were getting because they were so talented. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I found um, unsettling. Uh, that they, they were into that mindset at mm. that time. You know, because I, I still carry... Um, psychological scar from working at the Tribune. Well, what a weird place. Man, I wouldn't have lasted a year at the Tribune. I, I mean, it's a weird place. Yeah. Chicago Tribune is a weird place. It's I'm just putting up with, just think about it. The, the police and the FBI, this is my favorite example. The police, the FBI joined together to kill Fred Hampton and Mark Clark. Happened in 1969. We now know the story. They were drugged beforehand by a uh, FBI informer. The cops did a raid, a midnight raid, and gunned them down. Killed them. Yeah. Okay? Killed them. That's, All that's, right? Yeah, he, he was assassinated. For sure. He was an assassination. But he was a political person, so he was assassinated. Okay, we'll call it an assassination. Whatever you want to call it. The Tribune's response was to take whatever propaganda the police gave and put it on the front page. In other words, there was a shootout and the cops were lucky to survive. And the truth was the man was asleep. He'd been drugged. Oh, and, and their evidence was nail holes. Nail holes. The, and, and those were supposed to be bullet holes. So holes. as far as I know, the Chicago Tribune has never apologized for its role. That's just one example. Right. That's just blatant racism, people. I, I mean, I don't know what else to say. This is right around the time that Monroe Anderson is getting his job at the Chicago Tribune. Right. So just think of the just the the mentality yeah. of the people who run that paper that would print that stuff, then realize it's wrong, and then pretend like they never printed it. Monroe. Yeah. No, when I when I was at Ebony, I told the editor of Ebony that I was leaving to go to the, to the Tribune. 
And he says to me, that racist rag, you'll be back in a year. <laughs> and his response, that racist rag. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. But it's there for 10. Yeah. It's actually right now, Gregory Pratt, shout out, good friend of the show. I actually think that the, the Tribune is in terms of the news coverage, not the editorial page, which is worthless. The, the news coverage is better now than it's ever been in my lifetime. So shout out Gregory Pratt, good friend of the show. I just think they're more open-minded and they realize the world that they live in and they understand the history of Chicago. Uh, they may not go back. These are young reporters, so they, Monroe, they don't know the stuff that you and I are talking about. Right, no, uh, and then, they know well, it exists. Go yeah, and, and part of what's happened is with integration, then relationships were formed and experiences were exchanged so that they weren't operating off of stereotypes. Mm -hmm. You know, this younger generation, we've been we've been in the game long enough where they they know better. Yeah. And we know better. Well I that's what diversity does. Yeah. Diversity does that to a certain. That's why I'm saying there is a larger public good. Yeah. Uh, but if, if you're MAGA, you don't want that. You no. want the races divided, separated at each other's throats. Uh, and um, so that's why I say Clarence Thomas is perhaps the greatest weapon the MAGA movement has, I would argue. I mean, Donald Trump obviously is the leader of MAGA, right. but his role in promoting all all this gaslighting. Oh yeah, no, well, ex yeah, except he's well, he's just the latest in doing this. Now, if you recall, Trump was um, helped with the notion that Obama was nothing more than an affirmative action baby. I mean, which was just absolutely that, that man is brilliant. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not he's he he. He he he's he's of Michael Jordan stature in terms of being a politician. Everything. I mean, I, I remember when he went in up against the um, senators, the white Republican senators, who were were, and, and he took them on one by one and beat them all down. Yeah. No, it's just and just the notion of Donald Trump, uh, who academically is a flop. Right. Has been a flop. Right. Uh, calling out Barack Obama, <laughs> who is like probably the smartest president of our lifetime. I don't know. Clinton. Uh, you know, Clinton was slick. Willie was pretty smart, too. Yeah, right. Clinton, see, you know, that would be an, that would be a a Frazier Ali fight. Slick Willie's pretty smart. Right. But uh Obama, it's just it's just so absurd, you know what I mean? It's just uh but you know what? Since the 70s, since the since Baki, since the 70s, Monroe, I've been exposed to more white people complaining about black people getting a job that they should have gotten. Right. So um it, whatever. It's yeah, no, and they're right about that, that a mediocre white man would have gotten some of these jobs that some very brilliant black people are now getting because they did the work and they got the chance. Yeah. You know what? I, uh, it's just so put, it's just so ingrained in people's heads. 
and the things that you can't shake them from it. You know what I'm saying? You just, it's very difficult. I've heard it across the board and, and I don't even apply mediocrity, you know, in brilliance. I've just, it's so like to get into college, you have to have a certain test score. So people understand that you pay a tutor to teach you how to take a test. Right. So what's the point of that? Right. Uh, and, I, and, you've, I, and, and you've been in many instances, not all, but in many instances, you have been to better school. Yeah. You know, okay, well, yeah. Yeah. You, you put up somebody who went to New Trier versus somebody who went to uh, Marshall. Well, Nutria's got a lot more money than Marshall. Or Wendell Phillips or Wendell Phillips. Yeah. Where he, I, I can't remember how long ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, the TV station went to Nutria and covered them and how their school was and yeah. the instruments they had, you know, yeah, school, yeah, no, yeah. et cetera. And then they went to Phillips and, you know, they, they had hand me down instruments, some of them which were broken. Yeah, it was, just, it was just a it was a night and day situation. It was not separate and equal. No, but equal. Yeah, you can't have separate equal in this country, right? Because as soon as you have separate, it's not it's going to be not equal. So right. who are we kidding? All right, uh, we'll close with a little Trump talk because uh, Monroe, I can I probably talk about affirmative action forever. It's truly uh, one of the more bizarre aspects of gaslighting. All right, Monroe, Donald Trump, you were the one who pointed this out to me before we did the show. I, I hadn't been paying attention, so I went back. <laughs> you, were too, I watched, you were too busy NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, I was, too, I was too busy following NASCAR this weekend. I wasn't paying attention to Trump's insane rally in South Carolina. 50,000 plus people. Monroe pointed out Trump, the Trump cult is now equivalent kind of i don't mean to denigrate the grateful dead and their fans but it's like deadheads these maga cultists follow trump around they like make a weekend of it oh donald trump's gonna be in south carolina and they go all to south carolina man this is this is beyond weird monroe this is like just to, to to paraphrase the dead this is a weird trip man <laughs> Whoa. So uh, they boo Lindsey Graham, even though it's his home state, Senator Lindsey Graham. Monroe. It's his hometown. He, he lived 15 miles away from where the rally was held. He lives. Damn. So he said, oh, okay, it'll take me 10 minutes to get there. I go there and make my presence know. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Here's an idea for me, Monroe. Let's tie things together. You know, we were talking about how Chicago really wants to be on the national spotlight and that Chicago really needs that boost where the whole country sees them in a different light and uh, sees that beautiful skyline behind. How about having a, how about setting off Grant Park next 4th of July, not for NASCAR, but for a Trump rally? You get 50,000 MAGA people show up in Chicago. Hey, They'll stay at our hotels and eat the food <laughs> at our restaurants. Why don't we do that? There we go. Why not have a giant Trump rally, close down Grant Park, rope it off so ordinary I think Chicago would kick NASCAR was a NASCAR was a substitute for that. <laughs> it was it was like working us up to that. Yeah, it was a warm-up act. Yeah. You know, <laughs> 
we'll bring, we'll bring a star next year. So, all right. Uh, well, it's just a thought. Warm up back. Uh, hey, memo to Brandon Johnson. How about having a Trump rally in, in Grand Park next year? Um, so uh, when you see 50,000 people showing up for Donald Trump in South Carolina and booing Lindsey Graham because one day in his life, he may have said something remotely critical of the emperor. Uh, and so now he's forever booed, even his hometown. Yeah, I mean, you, he's been sucking up to Trump big time since then. Uh, in April, which was what, three months away, three yeah. months ago, he did uh, an ad begging people to give Trump some money because otherwise we we're going to lose America. Wow. It just wasn't going to be. This is uh, this is the time. Wow. We're gonna and they still, won't, they still won't forgive him. Uh, no, they still won't forgive him. No. And Trump man. didn't help him out at that rally. Trump said, well, he, sometimes he's good and sometimes he's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh my God! Remember, oh boy, uh, uh, got a blanket of Sessions yeah. from Alabama. Right. Remember he him? Right. Sessions he gave up his job as Senate to become right. the Attorney General for Trump. Used yeah, because, abused because he wanted to do. Sessions wanted to do what the Supreme Court did yeah. last week. Yeah. That was Sessions' plan. He. Uh, I think Sessions may want to take it a little further. <laughs> Right. Uh, just as an idea, I'm uh, spitballing here. How about bringing slavery back? Just an idea. Uh, uh, so uh, when you see a rally like that, you know, all 50,000 or whatever plus, uh, do you think that this is a genuine political uh, movement that will propel Donald Trump back to the White House? Or do you think that uh, this is an absurd cult? I think... It's a movement that's going to give us the White House, the Senate, and the House, and um, an expanded Supreme Court. Expanded. Um, Biden is saying, well, we got to be traditional, et cetera. He's saying that now because he took notes when those Republican Supreme Court justices were being interviewed and how they lied and said they they, they were traditional star starry. It's, it's been established. We won't touch it. We got to leave it alone. It's been established. As soon as they get in there. Bam! <laughs> and so that's, that's, that's what Biden's that's what planning. It's like, Oh, I don't know. I think I want to. Uh, I, I I think we have to keep the court as it is because, although it's not in the Constitution that yeah. nine is a magic number, it's been a tradition for 150 years, and we respect traditions. I respect traditions. Yeah, no. It's, but I, by the way, any, uh, anytime you want to make Washington D.C. a state, while you're doing that, uh, right. Joe Biden, feel free. That would help with the electoral map. Well, uh, I, let's let's go for two: uh, Puerto Rico and D.C. Well, Puerto Rico will be a lot harder uh, because oh yeah, right. There's the whole history of Puerto Rico as a colony, et cetera, and so forth. Yeah, uh, I know, but yeah, D.C. has been saying, "Take me, take, take me, me, take me." 
So I get emails, Monroe, from on both sides of this. So I get emails from the Dems saying there's a vote coming up. We, we support statehood for D.C. And then I get danger, danger. The liberals, no, the lefties, the left is trying to make Washington a state. I'm like, well, why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wyoming gets to be a state. Why doesn't Washington? Right. And you, you got two Dakotas when you only need one. Yeah, you got two Dakotas. Oh my God, North Dakota! What a weird state, man. They're they're out there. They border Canada, but they're worried about the Mexican border, which is well, anyway. Um, so I've never seen anything like uh, the following that Trump has in politics. I've never seen a politician command that kind of attendance. Uh, and I mean, none, no yeah. one. Yeah, uh, you, yeah, well, you, you weren't around when Hitler was. No, I. Yeah. No, seriously, well, I'm, yeah. I'm, right. I'm not being facetious. Yeah. I don't. I mean, Trump, I mean, no, he hasn't gotten around to killing people yet intentionally. He yeah. did with COVID, but he didn't, he didn't intentionally kill people. Yeah. But if he gets back in office and, uh, some people will die. Yeah. It, it, the uh, the collateral, uh, greatest collateral damage politically uh, to this uh, Trump uh, cult uh, is uh, Ron DeSantis, who for better part of 2021 uh, and 22 was presented, uh, really 22, I guess, was presented as the Republican alternative to Trump. You would get right. everything that Trump had uh, without uh, being sentenced to a federal penitentiary. Uh, his, Monroe, his campaign, I mean, uh, it's off the tracks right now. It's, oh, his campaign manager has said as much. It's like, yeah. we're, we're, we're losing in the polls. We're not getting the money we thought we were going to get from the supporters. It's uh, it's not it's not looking good for us. Yeah. And in the meantime, Trump is going impeach impeach me twice, indict me four times. <laughs> It'll make me stronger. With the cult, right? The cult loves it, man. Right. Oh my goodness! Nothing like it. Never seen anything like it in American politics in my lifetime. Let me just put no, it that way: right. American politics in my lifetime. No, not in, in anybody's lifetime no. in America for what's going on now. Well, the closest that um, I've seen to this is, and very similar, the passion uh, for George Wallace. And yeah. that's when I was just starting to follow politics. George Wallace, yeah. the former governor of Alabama, who moved yeah. segregation as a concept to the north right. uh, and uh, won over white people, right. uh, proving that Alabama was a state of mind or Mississippi was a state of mind that existed in the brains of white people throughout right. the country. Right. He was as close as I saw this until he got shot. Remember, Monroe? He, yeah. he would have rallies, but nothing like this, you know? Right. Right. Uh, no, Trump, well, because... Yeah, I mean, Trump. Trump was a, a TV star before he ran. That was the difference. Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, there are people who really thought that he's this brilliant businessman. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah. Bro, that wow. his whole life wasn't a big lie. 
no, that's the first gaslight that he was a brilliant businessman. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, he was saying his life, his career was saved by national TV was using him to promote its shows and sell advertising. And wow, look at where we are. All right, Monroe. Uh, I think we've uh, come to the end of today's show. And um, I like, usually try to end with a little optimism. Uh, so yeah, what was the prediction you made? Oh, no. Wasn't it last week that you were predicting that Trump would not be running for president? Remember that prediction? Uh, are you through with that prediction? Not yet. Not yet. Not okay. yet. No, no. I mean, right now, obviously, he's running. Yeah. But the thing is, uh, well, okay, one thing we need, and we'll see if this happens because it's not happening yet, is we need Chris Christie to qualify for the August debates. And they they have these rules where they're trying to keep people out. So you got to have um, contributions from 40,000 uh, different donors. Yeah. And um, you got to be, um, what is it, 2%, 4% in the polls, whatever. Anyway, Christie's not either place yet, but Christie is smart and he can be entertaining. And he's as much of an asshole as Trump is. <laughs> I don't know. It's close. <laughs> yeah. that, that's a great battle. Right, right exactly. Uh, and so, I and, don't know if anyone can and top he Trump. Said it, it, in, in, in 2016, where he screwed up was he figured he'd go after his opponents and then come after Trump. Yeah, yeah. And that was that a mistake works. everybody yeah. made. So he's going straight for the king. And he's, uh, not, he's not pulling any punches. And he yeah. will even get nastier. Well, it's uh, it's a sign of desperation where we're uh, banking on Chris Christie, but that's where we are, ladies and gentlemen. Right. And actually, actually, I want Trump to stay there because Biden beat him once and he could do it again. So, you know, so and so I prefer, I mean, as Christie says, Trump is a big loser, (laughs) as we Uh, have all said. Yeah. And uh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that debate is only a month off. Man, time flies. The Republican, the first Republican debate is only a month off. All right, Monroe, uh, it's a blast talking to you as always. Uh, so uh, take care. Have a great week. A uh, great week. I'll see you next week. All right. All right. OK. All right. That's the great Monroe Anderson. I also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job. And Monroe will agree with me when I say, hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can always download previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. Follow the Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram at Benny J Show, and like, subscribe, and follow the Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.